Hey folks, sorry about getting this episode up late. Whew, it's been a week. Uh, but today I'm so excited. We're talking to one of the people that's often, you know, doesn't get the spotlight for the work she does, but she has had incredibly important piece of protecting tens of thousands of acres of Florida. She's one of the unsung heroes and her experience, as you're gonna hear, is extensive. But what she's doing now, she founded the Florida Conservation Group in 2015 with ranchers and scientists to help complete the Florida Wildlife Corridor, which again is 18 million acres. We have about 7 million left and a lot of that is ranch land. And Julie is also a very important piece of the plan behind the Everglades to Gulf Conservation Area, which if all goes to plan, will be the new target of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife focus to acquire land and protect it for years to come. It is a huge opportunity for Florida and is going to be a new source of funding and attention. And, and frankly, Julie's experience and knowledge is so extensive. It, it was even hard to talk for an hour, which is why it went over to an hour and a half. But still, there was a million more questions I wanted to ask. So we're probably just going to have to have her back on in the future. So Julie, look for another set of annoying emails and texts from me uh, in the near future. I know you're excited. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks again for making this happen. It is such an honor to talk to you. Let's dive in. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thank you so much for doing this. This this is I, I appreciate you carving out some time. Busy time of year too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate, I really appreciate the opportunity. I know you do a lot of work uh, with Florida conservation, like behind the scenes and a lot of the actual work. Do you get a chance to just share like this very often or, or not so much? Not so much. You know, I'd like to, um, I'm usually running a mile a minute on the ground somewhere and traveling around rural Southwest, South Central Florida most of the time. This caught me on a day where I'm actually um, in front of the computer, which never happened. So it seemed like a really opportune time. But uh, so, no, I don't get the chance to share as much as I'd like to. You know, I think what happened, what got me this idea, I've been reading these reports about Everglades, the Gulf Conservation Area that's being yeah. proposed. And I see your name pop up and I know the connection with Jim. And, I'm, and then I see I heard some sort of video or something you were on and I'm like, She's a great communicator. Let's just see if she'll be open to a conversation. So I'm sure that's maybe a, I don't know, an easier way to talk about it. Sometimes I, I'm not a great writer, so I don't I don't turn to that medium very much. So I so I wanted to kind of almost have a conversation about about this, uh, learn a little bit more. But before we do that, I want to hear a little of your background. W where are you based in Florida, and what's kind of like your stepping stones and in getting into this world? Did you grow up here? What what's the story there? I am based in Nicomas, Florida, and I grew up about a mile from where I'm sitting now. Always had a deep love of the outdoors and nature. You know, I think I drove my parents crazy. I started take, you know, having a journal of roadkill, I think, when I was in elementary school. And, you know, every new development that came, I would kind of start counting all the animals that got run over and just became, for lack of a better word, more and more obsessed as I grew up. And I um, went to school for environmental science and policy. And then um, I did a stint um, in Latin America, working in conservation and development in rural Latin America, and then was in Montana for a little bit. And then, you know, Florida drew me back because it's my 
true love. I worked in wildlife research for a while and uh, started working with, with gopher tortoises and went to grad school at, at University of Florida with wildlife ecology and conservation. And then um, I miss Southwest Florida. You know, that's just, it's my most favorite place in the entire world. And I said, okay, well, I'll come back to Southwest Florida for a year, you know, before I do something else. And I wanted to be close to my family. I said, okay, I'll come back for a year. And this was in 2004 and I'm still here. So, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I, I worked for Charlotte County for a while managing their environmental lands. And then I ran their land acquisition referendum in 2005. And then I moved over to um, Wildlands Conservation, another nonprofit, and was there for a while. And that's when I started really becoming interested in private lands conservation. And I've always I've always done contract work for various local, state, and federal agencies in land acquisition, conservation planning, um, wildlife research. I realized that we really needed to work with private landowners to help them there to achieve their conservation goals and figure out how we can make conservation work economically, you know, because we're Southwest Florida, we're ground zero for development down here, as you know. So I worked at Wildlands Conservation for a while. I moved over to the National Wildlife Refuge Association. And during that transition time, I also started Florida Conservation Group with other ranchers and scientists. And Florida Conservation Group was founded around the concept of incentive-based land conservation and how we can incentivize land conservation for private landowners. So I did that as a volunteer job while I worked at um, the National Wildlife Refuge Association, National Wildlife Refuge Landscapes and Beyond Their Boundaries. So, you know, there's not just the National Wildlife Refuges, you know, it doesn't just stop at the boundary. You know, we have to work on how do we protect the ecological integrity of those areas beyond those national wildlife boundaries? And I really focused a lot in the Everglades Headwaters National Wildlife Refuge and Conservation Area, which is a million acre area north of Lake Okeechobee, where um, the Everglades Headwaters begins. That was established in 2011 and 12, I believe, by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But it was founded based on a kind of a partnership approach because... I mean, at the time, hardly any agency had any funding at all, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it was recognized that we're never going to be able to conserve what we need to conserve within those Everglades headwaters unless we all work together and figure out, you know, how we can make this work and focus on our most strategic areas. And so I worked, and I still do, within the headwaters for years in partnership with Dr. Tom Hochter at the University of Florida Center for Landscape Conservation Planning, who would be a great guest for you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's fabulous. But And he was actually one of the founders of Florida Conservation Group as well. You know, with Tom's work, you know, assisting in identifying our most strategic areas, whether it was for, you know, biodiversity, aquifer recharge, surface water, specific listed species, you know, we really focused on the most important areas and my focus was to bring in other agencies in order to leverage our funding. So leverage U.S. Fish and Wildlife, National Wildlife Refuge System funding with Florida Forever, um, with the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program, our state land conservation programs, and then NRCS, um, Department of Defense. So there's all these different funding sources and programs. And, you know, for years, there just wasn't very much funding at all. And now, thankfully, that has changed a lot. But so 
we worked with all those different agencies to focus on leveraging funding and focus on protecting our highest priority areas because we're never going to be able to protect anything. So it's really important that we use our dollars wisely and protect the areas that, you know, most important, that most protect our drinking water, most protect listed species like the Florida panther, the Florida grasshopper sparrow, and um, protect our most important native habitat and wildlife corridors. So, you know, I've been focusing on that for years now at a conservation group where I recently came over full time. We were founded, as I said, based around the concept of incentive-based land conservation. You know, how can we make conservation work for the private landowner? Because, you know, as you know, we want to have clean water in the Gulf of Mexico if we want a viable population of the Florida panther or a viable population of the Florida grasshopper sparrow, which is the most endangered bird in the continental United States. Those animals live on our ranch lands. And ranch lands are our focus at Florida Conservation Group, protecting our working lands, our working ranch lands. And that's because in the Southern Peninsula, that is the land use that most closely mimics our native grassland savanna type prairie. So, you know, think about pre-settlement, you know, this was Southwest, South Central Florida. That was, you know, that was a prairie ecosystem. That's a, that's a grassland ecosystem. So cattle ranching is the land use that most closely mimics that. And so the ranches that we work on and most of the ranches in Southwest, South Central Florida, and that's the area I can really speak intelligently on, okay? So I say Southwest, South Central Florida because I know that really well. We work statewide, but you know our primary focal area is the ranch lands in, in the Southern Peninsula. And you know those ranch lands, I think sometimes people have this maybe vision that it might be like that, you know, pasture that you pass, you know, on the outskirts of town that has a few cows on it that, you know, people might be keeping doing, you know, to keep their green belt or something. But these ranches are actually very, very wild. And they, you know, are akin to some of the more wilder places I've been around the world. So they're a mixture of pasture, of course, but also native habitat. And our ranchers are just um, tremendous land stewards. And they manage those, those ranches, not just for cattle, but for wildlife and the native ecosystems. And you talk to these people and there's a true love of the land. You know, that's what really, you know, ignited my passion about this, you know, 20 years ago when I realized, you know, there really needed, there was a niche to be filled working with these people and figuring out, okay, how, how can we make this work? For, for years, as I said, funding was very, very scarce. It's still not perfect, but, you know, with the advent of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act and what, has been accomplished with the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Thankfully, thank thank goodness that we are seeing money in our land conservation programs again. Yeah. Um, with Florida Conservation Group, I don't know if I'm I'm kind of like circling around. See, I don't know if I'm the greatest <laughs> communicator, but I'll I'll keep circling until I like get it. But you know, we focus on conservation of you know our working landscape, focusing on Florida's ranch lands because that is the most ecologically valuable land use we have in the Southern Peninsula, and we also engage in science planning, conservation planning. We're very involved politically on a, a state and federal level, advocating for our land conservation programs, and you know we're on the ground talking to landowners and doing outreach and making sure people know and understand what options are available to them. And, you know, that's my love and my passion working with people to see if there's a way that we can 
conserve their land and and make it work for them and, and make it work for conservation. So, so with, with Florida Conservation Group specifically working with with working lands, did, did you feel like there was a missing piece of the puzzle? Obviously, funding's a big missing piece. What what about for the landowners? Because I know a lot of these programs, uh, as well as the proposed uh, conservation area from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, it, it depends on willing landowners. Where do you feel like the average Florida landowner is in understanding their options when it comes to protecting their land? You know, I think it depends. And I would say this is still all fairly new. You know, we've, um, I mean, conservation easements have been around for a long time, right? And conservation easements entail, you know, selling or donating the development rights to your property. You know, I don't work with anyone that can afford to donate their development rights. Um, you know, that's, that's not the people that I work with, but, um, you know, there's, there's various programs out there that will purchase development rights. And, but it's, they've been around for a long time, but really having adequate and robust funding for these programs, that has not been a lot around for a long time. So, you know, I think more and more folks are understanding and learning. I think some people have a, a really great grasp. And I think for, you know, a lot of others, it's fairly new. And it's important, I think, that people, landowners understand the various options and all of the programs because, you know, some programs are going to fit better for them than others. And it's really important to us for people to have a good understanding and make a decision because, uh, you know, selling your development rights and doing a conservation easement, that's forever, which is a really long time. So, you know, our goal is to make sure that people really understand what that means, what the different programs do, because some, you know, are fairly restrictive, some are not, but it has to work for the landowner and their family and their long-term plans for the land. You know, if it's a family ranch and that's mostly who I work with, you know, it has to work for future generations. So you're not just thinking of yourself, you know, you're thinking 200 years down the line or 500 years down the line and what, what that land's going to look like, what you want it to look like. But, you know, it's important for this to be able to work right in perpetuity, right. Forever long that lasts. Um, you know, I think more and more folks are are gaining a really good understanding of this and the programs. And, you know, we work with all the programs out there and we try to make sure that we are working with the best program that fits that particular piece of land in that in that family situation. What What are some of the varying uh, approaches to different needs, family needs for, for working lands? Like I know there's a different programs the state has. Uh, there's, there's different ways to approach, you know, basically conservation. Yeah. And everybody's different, right. And every situation is different. And like, so I'm just going to go through the programs a little bit and that might help explain the, I'm going to go through a couple of the main programs because, you know, some, some people might have a really, really native landscape, right. Where, you know, it's a, you know, untouched piece of property for the most part, and they might want to see that stay like that forever. And that might not be a piece of property where they rely on it to as their sole source of income, right? People might have jobs in town, they might do other things, and that property has been in their family, but they want it to stay like that forever. Well, in that case, you know, you might be okay with the more restrictive easement that might not let you do a lot when it comes to different types of agriculture or different types of land uses, but that might be okay for you and your family, you know, if you want it to stay like that. 
And again, you don't have to worry about deriving income off of it for future generations. But, um, you know, right now in the state, there's many different state and federal programs. And then, you know, several counties where you are, Manatee County has a program, Sarasota County has a program, Polk County does. So there's several counties around that have land acquisition programs, but in the water management districts also are involved in, and do do conservation easements. But our our main programs in the state and by far the most popular programs are the Florida Forever Program, which is under Department of Environmental Protection. And the Florida Forever Program has been around forever. For years and years and years, it got $300 million a year. And that money went to fund projects on the Florida Forever list. And then it also is distributed to water management districts and some other programs. So the Florida Forever Program purchases both lands outright, like state parks that you see or state forests. And then they also purchase conservation easements. So that's Florida Forever under Department of Environmental Protection. And that's been around for a very long time. And then there's the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program under Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. And um, the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program, I think, has been around, I want to say, since 2001, but don't quote me on that. That program is more focused on working lands and agriculture. And the mission of that program is to keep food grown in Florida. It's to protect our working lands, protect our agricultural economy. The focus there is really on agriculture and our agricultural economy. With Florida Forever, the focus is more on our critical natural resources, our most intact natural resources. So Florida Forever, think critical natural resources, water resources. Rural and family lands think think agriculture. We need them both. And we know science tells us we are going to need a mixture of natural and agricultural lands if we want to, you know, have a viable economy and livelihoods in Florida, clean water, wildlife populations, etc. And, you know, there is some overlap between the programs. For instance, every conservation easement I've ever done in Florida forever is a cow-calf operation. And every conservation easement I've worked on with rural and family lands is a, is a cow-calf operation as well. Because as I explained, those cow-calf operations really protect some of our most important native habitat in the state. So, uh, but there is a different focus. And Florida forever is going to be a more restrictive easement where you know, as a landowner, you're going to agree to keep that land as it is and manage that land as it is in perpetuity. The Rural and Family Lands Protection Program is going to allow some flexibility where if, you know, we stop eating meat in 200 years, the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program will let you convert that cow-calf operation into another form of agriculture. So Rural and Family Lands is focused on keeping that in productive agriculture. Florida Forever is focused on natural resources. So again, rural family lands offers flexibility for people that say, you know what, I don't know if I want to keep this land as it is forever. You know, we might need the flexibility because if, you know, we stop eating meat or something happens, we want the, the ability to maybe convert that into something else. So both programs are really, really important and needed. And, you know, what I always say is, you know, think of our Think of Mayaka State Park. That's close to both of us. You know, do you want, you know, subdivisions surrounding Mayaka State Park or would you rather have agricultural lands? Because just, you know, not to mention, you know, feeding and clothing us, those agricultural lands are critical buffers to our more pristine areas. You're not going to be able to ever manage Mayaka State Park with fire as you would need to if you're surrounded by subdivisions. You're going to have a really hard hard time keeping out exotic plants and animals if you're surrounded by urban encroachment. 
So those agricultural lands, um, besides being important in their own right, are very, very important buffers to our more pristine areas. And so we know that if we want to protect Charlotte Harbor, our estuaries, the Gulf of Mexico, we have to protect that rural watershed. So both of these programs provide an opportunity to protect that watershed. Some easements are going to be more restrictive than others, but it is a personal decision for everybody. And some families might prefer the flexibility or need that. And some families are going to say, you know what, we want to keep it just as it is in this close to pristine condition. So again, those programs are very complementary of each other. And FCG, Florida Conservation Group, firmly supports full funding for both the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program and Florida Forever. And it's always a bit of a struggle. And I think in recent years with the Florida Wildlife Corridor, they've done a tremendous job, you know, explaining the, the need and vision for a connected landscape. So we are realizing more funding, thank goodness. And, and, you know, that's what I've been working on this past legislative session. We have another few weeks to go. So we hope we see, you know, consistent good funding for both of those programs. And then another program that we utilize a lot is called the Wetland Reserve Easement Program from NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Lots of acronyms. Yeah, there's, sorry, there's like acronym central here. I, I'm keeping like up. I, I roll my eyes at myself all the time. Yeah, and you were right about the year 2001. So you're, you're okay. You're, oh, thanks for checking. Thanks details. for checking that. Yeah. You know, I want to come back to that. So remind me to circle back to that about rural family lands in a second. But NRCS, the Wetland Reserve Easement Program or the WRE program. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with this one. I The first two I'm a little more familiar with. I don't hear about this one as much. So that has been, that program focuses not on, you know, pristine natural landscapes or, you know, productive agriculture. That program is looking at wetlands that have been ditched and drained or wetlands that need to be restored. So basically, a lot of our landscape has been ditched or drained or altered. And NRCS, the Wetland Reserve Easement Program, focuses on those types of landscapes where we can put water, we store those wetlands and put water back on the landscape. And one of the most important things we can do for hydrology in Florida and specifically the Southern Peninsula is put water back on the landscape, right? Because, you know, South Florida, I mean, we're a sheet flow down here. And what did that sheet float do in those wetlands? You know, they overflowed in the wet season and that water crawled across the landscape and was cleaned and filtered as it went across that landscape before it went into our streams and rivers and estuaries in the Gulf. So the Wetland Reserve Easement Program restores those ditched and drained landscapes and puts water back on those, those lands. That program's not for everybody, and but it is an important tool, especially you know if a family is willing to do a WRE, it is a very restrictive easement program because basically you're losing a lot of your ability to produce there, you know, um, it's going to be flooded part of the year. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be wetter part of the year, you know, so NRCS still allows, still allows grazing, although they say that they could, they would have the ability to restrict that. But we recognize in Florida, thank goodness, that grazing is a very important management tool, you know, in the absence of being able to intensively manage with fire and take out every invasive species, which is never going to happen. We need cattle on the landscape. So, and, and that's recognized, NRCS recognizes that, but you're still going to lose, you know, some grazing and your ability to be as productive, but that's a very restrictive easement program. But a lot of times people say, well, 
I'm willing to do that on a portion of my property. I'm willing to restore this area that, you know, has been altered, put water back on that landscape, restore the historical hydrology. So I don't, you know, think it's necessarily, I don't give advice, but, you know, if it was me, I'd say I probably wouldn't want to do that on my entire property. But if there's a portion of your property that really lends itself to restoration, many people are willing to do that and engage in a restrictive easement like that. But again, it, it is really important for, you know, our water resources downstream to be able to do that. Because the more and more we can do that, that negates having these massive engineering fixes down the road, you know, where we have to do a lot of infrastructure and pipes and pumps, um, you know, so we can really put water back on that landscape and engage in restoration. That's really important. So that's another really popular conservation easement program that we use very strategically in strategic places where it might be the most appropriate. So. I want to come back to the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program in Florida Forever. So for years, Florida Forever received consistent funding. And then in 2008, when the recession hit, that program was defunded, really, because we didn't have any money. I mean, we were, you know, there was a recession. So, you know, we were broke. So from 2008 up until the advent of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act, which I think was 2021, the program did not receive much funding. There were some years where it did receive some, but it never got back up to that $300 million until the Florida Wildlife Corridor. So for years, it actually received no funding at all. So we had all of these properties, you know, if you, engage, if you decide as a landowner to enter into the Florida Forever program, you're entering into a really intensive ecological vetting and evaluation process that takes 12 to 18 months just to get on the list to be eligible for conservation. So, you know, you go through a really intensive vetting ecological evaluation process, which is good because we're spending the taxpayer dollars and we want to show, we want to be accountable for those dollars and say, you know what, we're protecting the best of the best. You know, this program, these properties have been evaluated and vetted. One of the things that we're really, really great at in Florida is science-based land conservation planning and science-based land protection, because we have the best conservation planners, scientists in the country, like Dr. Tom Hochter, who I mentioned, and, and also the Florida Natural Areas Inventory, FNA, the people there. We had to get really, really good at prioritizing what areas we had to protect because it's Florida and everybody wants to move here. You know, we're not going to be able to protect it all. So we, we have to be very, very strategic. So Florida Forever has done an excellent job at that, but it was defunded for years and years and years. So you had all these people that were waiting for years and years and years for an easement, and there was simply no funding. And then the Rural and Family Lands Program, which had been around since 2001, thank you, that um, that was really designed for, you know, family lands that might not have fit the Florida Forever Program, which was really based on Florida Forever was looking at those large landscape conservation of, you know, critical natural resources. The Rural and Family Lands Program just didn't receive they kind of received a trickle of funding. And I think they got a little bit, they were always kind of getting a small percentage of Florida forever. And they didn't do, they're just, there wasn't a lot of um, traction there. In 2009, they got a bit of money and an appropriation and they were able to do a few small conservation easements. And then when Commissioner Adam Putnam came into office and Florida forever was defunded, he really breathed life back into or breed life into the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program. He worked for several years to get appropriations into that Rural and Family Lands Protection Program. And at that same time, conservation easements were becoming more popular because, you know, I think landowners were seeing what was happening in Florida with development and they started realizing conservation easements were an option 
where you could sell your development rights, still own that land, keep mm-hmm. on doing what you're doing. Get a cash influx that can be helpful. Yeah. But, but be responsible for managing it in perpetuity. So conservation easement sounds it sounds great, but you know when it comes down to it, you're you're selling your development rights, you're selling your asset, but you can keep on you know running cows or engaging in agriculture. But you know the landowner is responsible for managing that. And and in Florida, you know management is pretty intense. We're ground zero for exotic species that are coming in. So. You know, you have to keep your land, minimize those exotic species. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future, right? We know what we have now. Um, who knows what it's going to be like in 20 or 30 years with, you know, invasive and exotic species. And then Florida is also pyrogenic. You know, you have to burn your property every few years for it to be, remain productive and viable. So, you know, burning exotic species, you have to be responsible for all of that. And even when there's, a, you know, a few bad years of calf prices, you know, you're still responsible for managing that land in perpetuity. So conservation easements are a wonderful tool and it does provide some cash influx. But, you know, people need to manage that very, very carefully because that's what's going to cover those properties in the lean times. So conservation easements were becoming more and more popular in the, I would say, right around the time Florida Forever was defunded because of the recession, rural and family land started receiving some appropriations and landowners really liked the flexibility and the focus of that program. And we saw more and more landowners sign up for the rural and family lands protection program, which received funding for several years in a row. At that same time, Florida Forever was not receiving a lot of funding or any funding at all. And then unfortunately, you know, politics is fickle. And then we saw rural and family lands not receiving funding for years, but Florida Forever started receiving more funding. So you have these two programs and, you know, funding seems to have always swung between one or the other. And now I hope we're in a situation where both are going to be receiving reliable, consistent funding. Um, The I think it was 2021-22, Florida Forever received 100 million and then also 300 million appropriations for lands within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Not last year, but the year before, the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program received $300 million after not receiving any funding at all for five years. So now um, we're in a situation where Florida Forever, the legislature has um, said they are going to fund Florida Forever every year at $100 million recurring. For how long? Um, indefinitely right now. You know, so we're not back up to the 300 million, which is where we really need to be as a baseline. Um, you know, land prices have risen a lot since that 300 million. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it sounds like a lot of money, but when you're, you know, purchasing or protecting vast amounts of land, it doesn't get you too far. And so we're working as many other organizations are to secure that type of funding for the rural and familias protection program. But, you know, our baseline is we would like to see 300 million in each program. Um, and we could definitely spend that, you know, on the rural and family lands. Just so the rural and family lands program did not have an application period for five years because there is no funding. So mm-hmm. last year, for the first time in five years or since 2017, they opened up an application period. And you had a lot of lands that have been sitting on that list for years and years and years. And then we had, you know, 280,000 acres apply to that program. So, I mean, that shows you the demand and the amount of people that want to protect their lands and sell their development rights. So now we have over 370,000 acres on that rural and family lands protection program list, which equates to about $1.5 billion. 
So we are in desperate need of funding because we know as Floridians, that land is not going to stick around forever, right? No, I mean, and the price is only going to go up. We are in direct competition in a lot of these cases with, I say more intensive land uses, but, you know, in reality, it's, you know, development. And so the Rural Family Lands Protection Programs offers landowners an opportunity to stay in agriculture and, and, you know, sell their development rights and keep on managing that land and keep on growing our food and protecting our native wildlife. So we have 370,000 acres that are on that list. And then we have, I think, over 2 million acres that are on the Florida Forever list right now. Not all of that is for conservation easements, but I think, and you'll have to double check my math because Florida Forever has just been protecting land nonstop since they started receiving funding. They've been doing a tremendous job. So, you know, but I think there might be close to a million acres on their conservation easement list as well. Both programs have just been doing a phenomenal job. So when Rural and Family Lands received that funding, they've been protecting land since Florida Forever has started receiving consistent funding. They've been protecting vast amounts of land. So both of those programs, you know, have pretty amazing dedicated staff that believe in the mission. And, um, you know, they're, I call them friends and I'm just always, you know, they just do amazing jobs. So both those programs have been tremendously successful and they've shown us what they can do when they have funding. How is the 2024 legislative session shaping up for, for funding? Was that $100 million a year announced with this session? So that was last year. So Florida Forever last year, the legislature um, agreed to fund Florida Forever at $100 million a year recurring, which is great. And we applaud that. And we are so thankful. And I just would say we're thankful, but we need more. And then the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program, the governor put in his budget request $100 million this year. Um, and then I think it's $100 million recurring. Right now, as I'm talking to you, you know, the Senate and House will be engaging in budget negotiations. And the Senate snapshot in time right now, we're, you know, February 23rd, but the Senate has $300 million in their budget for Rural and Family Lands and the House has $33 million. So, you know, our goal is to get that number up as high as possible for rural and family lands. And we'd like to see a higher number for Florida forever as well, because the demand, you know, Florida Conservation Group, we submitted 44,000 acres into the rural and family lands protection program last year. Right now, I think we have landowners representing about 20,000 acres that want to apply. The next time they open up an application cycle, we are consistently applying to Florida Forever for landowners that want to be in the Florida Forever program. So the demand is there. We have people in the state, landowners in the state that want to see their land protected. And again, you know, families change, right? We recognize that they evolve their dynamic, people pass away. So, you know, the families now that I work with, you know, they want to make sure, you know, that land's going to stay as it is as long as they're there. But for the next generation and the generation after that, they want to ensure that that land is protected. So that demand is there. We have willing landowners. All of these programs are willing landowners that we work with, mm -hmm. these conservation easements. So you just need the money. We we need the funding. And then we talked a little bit about Everglades to golf. And if that is established, um, I can go into that. Yeah. Let, let me mention this real quick. You know, to put it into perspective that, you know, we have that money, you know, near us is Sarasota between you and me. And there's a famous infrastructure project, the Diverging Diamond Interchange. It's basically an intersection uh, right there in Sarasota. That intersection was completed for $75 million. We're talking about one intersection on one highway interstate system 
in one part of Florida. And that's 75% of the funding seven years ago of what we're asking for per year here in the state of Florida for the entire state. So I, I think the money's there. It's just a, a matter of will. And the demand is there. Can, can I ask you this before we jump into Everglades, the Gulf Conservation Area, is what have you noticed about the the landowners in Florida? How has the attitude changed over the time? What, what, what do you say is the biggest motivator to be a part of this program, to put their land in conservation? Because I, I feel like there's from who, the people I talked to, there's been a shift in mindset over over the last decade. What what have you seen? I think attitudes towards conservation easements have changed, right? Because any time that you let the government into your business, there's always a bit of trepidation. <laughs> but what I think landowners see is, you know, their neighbor did it or their, you know, relative did it. And it's not so bad, right? There's not this tremendous government intrusion on their property. These are voluntary agreements like word, word of mouth is working yeah the people you know they see okay i have to keep on managing my land as i do now and and that's okay you know i think it's just you you kind of have to watch and see how it unfolds and the government's not out to get you you know we're all trying to work together to conserve this land so attitudes have changed i think landowners you know whether you're on the coast you know a coastal resident or you're a rancher in the middle of the state we're all seeing what's happening here. You know, Florida's getting loved to death. I mean, everybody's moving here. I can't blame them. You know, we're seeing what happens when it comes to traffic problems and water quality. And then cattle ranching, and I can say this now because now I actually, I do own cows and I, I do have a bit of property that's under conservation easement, but the margins there are very, very low. And, you know, it is a people have been that I work with, they're cattle ranchers, their dad, their granddad, their, you know, great grandparents, you know, you go down the line, it's been in their family for generations, they've been doing this, and there truly is a love of the land. Um, But the margins there are very small, you know, 1000 acres, you know, might support a couple people, but then people start having kids and grandkids and great grandkids and people have to go to college, etc. It's, it's, you know, it becomes very difficult. So economically, what, you know, what have we seen happen in Florida? You know, people have to sell off their properties for economic purposes. And that's how we, you know, we've lost these, you know, great, huge impact landscapes because for economic necessity, you know, people need to sell to development. I mean, that's the asset is the asset is your development value there, right? Cows aren't necessarily paying for the land. And so conservation easements are a mechanism where a lot of times it allows people to stay in business or helps cover margins and that and it provides a cushion for land management. So, you know, that, um, you know, land management in Florida is very expensive. It's very costly. And, you know, a lot of manpower to burn that land and, you know, upkeep. And so conservation easements provide that in, endowment that, you know, families can put aside to manage that land. So attitudes have definitely changed. And so it's, it's a love of the land that people engage in this for. It's it's pure economics. But, you know, anyone that's selling a conservation easement, let's sell your, you know, you're selling your development rights for 50 cents on the dollar, which sounds really good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think about 20, 50, 100, 200 years from now that, you know, you have the, you know, the development industry that's able to come in and offer you, you know, two, three, four, five times what that land might be worth now. You know, you see the development industry. In, and again, I'm not. I don't mean that pejoratively, right? You know, we work with developers too. They're doing their job. We're doing our job. But, 
they're able to offer a lot of money for these properties. So our job is to make sure people go into this with wide eyes and say, okay, you know, you're going to sell your development rights. That's forever. Our job, you know, what I do and many others is to make sure that they are able to derive income off that property and that conservation easement works for them where, you know, they can remain productive in a, in a viable operation. Can I ask this? What happens if you need that conservation easement to make ends meet and provide you a little more runway and you're still not able to make your business viable and you need to sell your land and it's hard to sell because conservation or the uh, development rights have been sold. What, what, what happens to the land then? Like if I can't afford it, I mean, go, go to, goes into bankruptcy. Like what, what, what is like worst case scenario? Like anything else, you know, if you, um, that conservation easement runs with the land. So, so no matter what happens, no matter what happens, but you know, what we see here in Florida is those lands with conservation easements on it are still very valuable because land is in short supply. You know, it's a scarcity. So we might see, you know, a couple thousand acres come up for sale in the middle of the state, which we do all the time that has a conservation easement on it. There is a high demand for that land. For the parameters of the conservation easement, there is still high demand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, um, um, a lot of people with means in this state, and there's a lot of people that would love to have their piece of property with a conservation easement on it. And, you know, if you're a, in agriculture, if you're a cattle rancher, those are the type of lands you're looking for because cows aren't paying for, for land anymore, right? So cattle ranchers, you know, when people are expanding, those are the types of lands they buy um, because the development rights have been stripped. It's not as expensive as if it did have its development rights on it, of course. Mm-hmm. But even with, you know, development rights stripped, those lands with conservation easements are still going for fairly high value because, again, where can you find if you if you live on the coast and you want your recreational piece of property somewhere within a couple hours, you're going to buy land with a conservation easement on it. And so we're still seeing those conservation easements hold a tremendous amount of value. That's great. Yeah, you're right. They're not making more, not making more of the land. And there's always right. going to be No, those. they're not. Last I checked. Yeah. Um <laughs> But I did, you You said something and I'm really happy you brought it up with, you know, our Department of Transportation budget and what we spend on our infrastructure in Florida, you know, what we spend on our highways, you know, that budget is astronomical. And I, I haven't checked in a few years, but I think I have an article on our website where I say something like, you know, if we can spend over $10 billion a year on our highway system, you know, surely we can afford $300 million a year on, you know, land protection. And so, you know, think of our highway system, you know, as gray infrastructure, think of land protection as our green infrastructure. You know, that's what's going to provide us clean air. That's what's going to provide us clean water. So what is that worth to us as a society? And so, you know, I would hope that it's worth as much as roads. And I think if you ask people, I think people would agree with that. So, Again, you know, our challenge is, you know, we have to sell this to our decision makers. And I think people are listening more and more that this just isn't green space. You know, it's not just, you know, something pretty to look at. This is what's providing us with clean air. This is providing us clean water. This is protecting our wildlife, which we as Floridians value. So conservation easements, you know, I want to say they're not the answer, but they're an important tool because we're never going to be able to afford to buy and protect outright all of the land that we need to protect, that we know in the scientific community that we know we have to protect if we want 
viable populations of wildlife, if we want clean water, if we want clean air. So we're never going to be able to buy all of that. We're never going to be able to manage all of that. And landowners, frankly, might not want to sell all of that. But conservation easements are another mechanism for us where we can buy that land, the development rights to that land for a fraction of the cost. We can buy it for cents on the dollar. And it's not taking the place of buying land outright, but it is another tool that is absolutely necessary. We are going to have to be able to continue to purchase conservation easements if we want all of those ecosystem services or the benefits that nature provides. Think of think of clean air, clean water. That's the benefit nature provides us. So conservation easements are what we are going to have to work on and purchase the development rights so we can have that mixture of public recreation lands, those pristine natural lands, our state parks, our state forests. But we also are going to need to purchase conservation easements if we are going to protect what we need to protect. And that management, which is so costly, remains the responsibility of that private landowner. So it's not an either or situation. And I, I guess like I have this opportunity to talk about it where sometimes I, I hear people say, well, we shouldn't be doing you know, conservation easements, we should be buying this land. Well, it comes down to, first of all, does the landowner want to sell their land to the state? Because, you know, if you're selling your land outright, the state, county, federal government, you know, they're capped at what price they can buy that for. The development industry, the private industry is not capped. They can pay a lot more for that land. So you have to have willing landowners and then frankly, a lot of landowners might not want to sell their land outright, but they might be willing to do a conservation easement. So both buying land outright and conservation easements, it's not an either or situation. We have to be doing both. As a society, we have to be doing both if we want to protect the land that we are going to have need to protect that we know that science tells us if we want clean air, water, wildlife. And that's important, I think, for people to hear. And the vast majority of what's left of the 18 million acre Florida wildlife corridor idea, 11 million nearly is protected. That remaining seven is mostly working land. It's mostly ranches and agriculture, which are currently operating and currently working. And like you said, they, a lot of people aren't going to want to just sell that and then have to leave that land and not steward it anymore. I think that tool, conservation easement, is going to be even more crucial for this completing this idea called the corridor. You're really good on your statistics. Thank you. Like this is great. <laughs> so, um, but you're you're exactly right. And I hear you know you know another argument I hear is well we shouldn't be purchasing you know or protecting these agricultural lands that there's more pristine lands. Well, you know we are in Florida, and I don't know of a piece of land that has not been grazed in some way, right? All of our state parks, there was cows in our state parks, you know, before we purchased them outright. So, I, you know, I like to, you know, be able to communicate that this is where our native lands are when we're talking about ranch lands in Florida. And I know, are they perfect? You know, from an ecological perspective, absolutely not. They are not perfect from an ecological perspective. Are they the best we have, ecologically speaking? Yes, they are. And I'm, I'm talking about the Southern Peninsula and our historical, you know, grassland savanna type system. So I think it's very important for people to understand that, that if we want to protect 
the native landscape in Florida, we are going to have to be focused on protecting these private lands. So, and so it's not like there's some other wonderful viable option where we focus on this, you know, pristine landscape. This is what we have, you know, in our state. And those agricultural landscapes hold a tremendous amount of native habitat that has, you know, biological, ecological value. So it's a heck of a lot better than rooftops and parking lots. Exactly. And so I think, you know, it's not like, um, okay, don't purchase this or don't put an easement over this, you know, this, there's not something better. So, you know, so I always tell people, be careful what you wish for, you know, are, you know, is the cattle ranching industry perfect? Absolutely not. You know, what would you like instead? Would you like, you know, strip, strip malls and golf course communities, you know, because that's the alternative. It's not ranching or something better. Okay. That's not our reality. And like you said, because it was a grassland with grazing animals historically, even prehistorically, this is pretty, I mean, this is about as close as it can get because cows being on a lot of our land is more natural than them not being there with the sense of bovines being able to graze like they would historically. So it's almost closer because they're there. And another thing I think a lot of people might have issue with with conservation easements is recreational access. And I've heard some decision makers around here is like, well, we don't want to support any protection that the public can't access. And it seems like the the value that this land is, recreational access or public access, is, is honestly the cherry on top for all the benefits it provides to society. Like, And if we can access it publicly, well, that's just great. But even if we can't, it still provides massive value to us. Yeah, I think, you know, recreational access is very, very important. And that is, I'm a Floridian. I want recreational access. I want access to our our public lands. I mean, that's their public lands. They're for all of us. And so I don't think we should ever stop buying land outright for the public to be able to access. Conservation easements are something different. You know, recreational access, that's a right you buy. Right now, we're not buying the rights to for recreational access. We are buying the development rights but that land is still private. You know, if we want to talk about recreational access, you know, that's buying a certain right. But again, it's important. We are never going to be able to buy outright. We will never, ever afford it, nor are the landowner, nor are people going to be selling us all of the land outright that we have to protect for our water and our wildlife. It's never going to happen. Like all the money in the world couldn't buy that land. Cost prohibitive. So buying recreational land, buying public land is absolutely a priority, but that goes hand in hand or hand in glove, whatever you want to call it, with conservation easements, where we are purchasing the development rights to to our strategic parcels as well that protect our water, that protect our wildlife, that protect our, you know, our food security. So it again, it's not an either or situation. We firmly support recreational access. We also firmly support conservation easements where we're going to protect for cents on the dollar, the land that we need to protect. And I understand this argument because we have to convince people, you know, that live on the coast that, you know, might not have access to these conservation easements in the middle of the state. But those conservation easements are what's protecting our clean water on the coast. So it's a benefit for all of us. And again, they don't take the place of fee simple acquisition, buying land outright. They're complementary tools, and we're going to need both. We're going to need a mixture of public and private conservation lands. Maybe the second half of the acquisition, you could say, is still possible in the future, right? Like say, hey, we're going to buy the development rights now, 
but maybe in a hundred years we can buy the other rights to where it's a, it, we do own the land and have public access. Is that a possibility? I mean, you know, it all comes down to willing sellers, right? So it comes down to, you know, is the seller, you know, is that something the seller would like to do? It's just, it's not off the table. No, it's not off the okay. table. So I grew up in the town of Frostproof. And right, I, I, I was right there when the uh, Everglades Headwaters Conservation Area was coming about, and the, the landowner right next to us growing up uh, on the Avon Park Bomb and Range area yeah. sold his land, and that became part of the conservation area that was renaturalized. It was cow pasture, and the folks around me who were all old Floridians were like, "Ain't it a shame that this cow?" pasture went back to this scrubby habitat and only because the vista was gone, the view was gone. And I was always confused. But now I see that when I go back home and visit and I say, oh my gosh, I was so close to these huge monumental shifts, these big efforts. And so that was my experience with the last round of this renaturalization and conservation effort. Now, I don't know if this is you know almost 2.0 or, or a second iteration of it, but I'm I'm so excited about what's coming with uh, the Everglades to Gulf Conservation Area. I imagine that's because of the success of the first iteration with the Everglades Headwaters. You know, I don't know. I think there's so first of all, there's so many unsung heroes in Florida that have just been doing the hard work for years and years and years and long before I came around and, you know, working on the ground with landowners and the public and our, our different, you know, constituent communities yeah. and stakeholder communities. But attitudes have just been shifting. You know, we have kind of, you know, different types of communities or interest groups that in Florida are willing to work together because, you know, we all love, we all love Florida. We all love the natural beauty of this state, you know, where it's in our blood. And, you know, we are, it sounds negative, but when I say we're under siege, you know, we are losing habitat at such a rapid pace and, and losing kind of a, what I, I call it like a part of my soul, you know, and every time I go somewhere, I think what just happened? I haven't been here in a few months and this landscape has completely changed, you know, so, um, and that's what keeps us going. So we have just had such an amazing movement in Florida for so long and people willing to work together where you might have, you know, the diehard environmental community working so closely with the ranching community, which might not seem, you know, intuitive at first, but then you look closely and it's like, well, we, we all have the same goal. We want to see Florida stay Florida. So with the Everglades Headwaters National Wildlife Refuge, you know, you had the sportsman's community come together with the conservation community and the ranching community and this tremendous amount of support and people working together and and agencies working together to leverage funding. And that was in the time of no funding. Like everyone had like a tiny bit of funding. So we had to really work and kind of be very strategic and think, okay, what, how are we going to put all these little funding pieces together to actually make it work? And I, I think we all, a lot of us cut our teeth on that, or at least I did, you know, trying to figure out, okay, how do I fit in, you know, state and federal programs on, on this piece of land to protect it? And so it was really hard, but I think, a lot of great work got done that would not have gotten done by any individual program or agency. It was only because of those partnerships that things were able to be accomplished. And now that we have this funding, we've all become really wiser and trying to figure out, you know, the best ways to use these, th th this funding that we have now, which is a gift, frankly. And so with the Everglades to golf, you know, I was fortunate enough to be involved in assisting with the 
the planning of that in the, in again, the, you know, the credit goes to the University of Florida's Dr. Tom Hochter at the Center of Landscape Conservation Planning, whose work provided the scientific foundation of the um, Everglades to Golf Conservation Area, or hopefully it will if it becomes established. But there has been so many people um, working in Southwest Florida for years and years and years. And there's been the conservation community has been so active and we've had all these great, great successes in Southwest Florida. So when U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the National Wildlife Refuge System started looking at this area and, you know, years ago and saying, you know, does this warrant further study? Could this be a federal conservation area or a National Wildlife Refuge and Conservation Area? And they engaged us and Dr. Tom Hochter to engage in further study and planning and working with the stakeholder community. And U.S. Fish and Wildlife determined that, yes, you know, this area rises to the top, you know, because of the tremendous amount of work that's been done for years, because of the biological resources, which, you know, it's one of the biological hotspots in the country, and then the tremendous development pressure. So we have this brief moment in time where we are able to protect, you know, some of the last biological jewels of the state. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife said, yes, we want to work on this further. And now there is a land protection plan out there for a conservation area. And what that essentially means is if this is established, and hopefully we'll know soon, that there will be this 4 million acre area in southwest, south central Florida, where U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the National Wildlife Refuge System part of it, not the regulatory part of it, but the the National Wildlife Refuge System will be able to come in and purchase conservation easements. They'll also be able to purchase um, land outright for recreational access and hunting and fishing. Um, But the majority of this area would be conservation easements. So when I say a 4 million acre area, not all of that's going to be protected but what that does is essentially gives U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the National Wildlife Refuge System, the authority to work within that boundary, just like they have the authority to work within that million acre area north of Lake Okeechobee, the Everglades headwaters. In the Everglades to Golf Conservation Area, they will have a four million acre area where they will they will be able to or have the authority to work with willing landowners. And that's the key to work with willing landowners to purchase land outright or to purchase conservation easements. And this is simply another opportunity for landowners to be able to protect their land. So it's not like the federal government's going to come in and do a takeover. They're going to be another partner in this part of the world where they will be able to work with our state programs, work with NRCS, work with Department of Defense, our county programs, the Water Management District, Because remember, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take a myriad of agencies, a myriad of programs, a myriad of funding sources in order to get this done and protect the land that we know that we need to protect. And by that, I mean that we know that we need to keep out of the path of development so we have a viable wildlife corridor, native habitats, clean water downstream. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife will be able to be another partner in this effort and work with everybody else on the landscape. And, you know, what we have shown in Florida is that, you know, local, state, federal government, they can work together. Florida is a leader in this type of effort. How many people do we know are interested in that area to sell and or to put their land under conservation? Has that been done yet? Because I know there was a, a, a lot of public input uh, and a time for public comment. 
Did you did you see anything unique about or or, or just kind of themes? I don't know if you can share any of that or if you you know have poured through the answers oh. or whatnot. But did you did you see some themes stick out of of what people are wanting with this? You know, there was a lot of public comment. Um, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife has to follow a, a fairly strict protocol when it comes to those public comment periods. Yeah. For the last round of public comments, I think there was three thousand comments, and <laughs> two thousand and ninety nine were positive. And I think the one negative, the you know, person didn't think the federal government should buy more land. But other than that, the last round, they were all positive. And I don't remember. And and it was a similar situation with the previous round of public comments. But by and large, themes that arose, you know, recreational access, people want to see their land. People want to see land protected. Landowners want to see land protected. They showed up at the public meetings. The general public showed up at the meetings. The conservation community showed up at the meetings. The sportsman's community showed up at the meetings. And and all and I, and I should use all of these groups are part of the larger conservation community. You know, but I'm talking specific NGOs or environmental organizations or sportsmen's organizations or um, ranchers. You know, they're all part of the greater conservation community that stood up and said, "We want to see this." Everyone recognizes what's happening in Southwest Florida, and this is another tool, another way that we can, you know, protect our most precious resources and our most precious land. So. Do I know how many landowners are willing to do this? No, but what gives us a really good idea is look at how many people signed up for the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program within the Everglades to Golf Conservation Area boundaries. Look at how many people have signed up for the Florida Forever Program within the boundaries. So those state programs, um, you know, have a very intensive vetting process. Both programs do. And so those those lands go on the list. So you just look at the lands on the list and I can send you a map of Southwest Florida within these boundaries. It shows, you know, you have landowners that represent hundreds of thousands of acres that want to see their land protected. In the state, both programs are never going to be able to afford to um, protect all of those properties. So this provides another funding opportunity in another um another mechanism for landowners. It's another program for landowners to work with. And, you know, what we found in the Everglades headwaters is that federal government isn't so bad, you know, working with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, National Wildlife Refuge System is actually a positive experience. And, you know, landowners can attest to that. You need, you need testimonials out there ahead of this and just like media that's saying, hey, don't, don't, we're not coming to take anything. This is, this is a good thing. Um, So, so it, it is, it's a, it's a good thing for for us as a society, it's a good thing for landowners. You know, again, I just want to stress that it's willing seller, non-regulatory. It's just like, you know, Florida Forever and Rural and Family Lands, it's another program. How did this get on the radar of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife? Was there like advocacy going on or is it just that apparent that this area is under threat? You're asking really good questions. So years ago when the Everglades Headwaters was established, there was um, the vision was that was going to be a greater Everglades partnership initiative where there was going to be Everglades headwaters first. And then then there was going to be a, a fish eating creek, which is, you know, the that area, which is a you know a wild tributary to Lake Okeechobee and then an expansion of the Florida Panther National Wildlife Refuge. So it was it was envisioned this large, connected, protected landscape from headwaters all the way down to Big Cypress. And this was how long ago? This was in 2011-12. So that was okay. the plan. Well, again, you know, politics is fickle. Priorities change. Administrations change. So that was shelved. 
um, and kind of put on the back burner. And it was decided, you know, on a federal level that they were going to focus on Everglades headwaters and also not establish these new areas. There was some worry that they might compete with funding, you know, because these National Wildlife Refuge areas and conservation areas are funded mainly by the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is oil and gas revenues. But LWCF funds these these federal National Wildlife Refuge areas. So those other two plans were shelved. And then, you know, several years ago, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Department of Interior was examining areas around the country for their America the Beautiful initiative and called for proposals on areas that they should look at closely. And U.S. Fish and Wildlife folks here submitted Southwest Florida for consideration um, because, you know, it, it had been looked at before, but it was a lot because there had been so much work done in the region. Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, FWC, had been engaged for years and years on the ground with an initiative. They had the Cooperative Conservation Blueprint. There had been local work done for years and years, um, just a very engaged conservation community. And then scientifically, biologically, ecologically, this area really rose to the top. So of all those proposals that, you know, went to Department of Interior, I think this rose to the top where they said, you know what, we want to look at this more carefully. And U.S. Fish and Wildlife has to go through a pretty intense planning process where they said, okay, we're going to do a landscape conservation design now. And Dr. Tom Hochter, um, FCG, the National Wildlife Refuge Association, worked with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to engage in further scientific study. And, you know, that went back to Department of Interior and they said, well, yes, you know, this needs more study. So then another study was done. We went through these series of steps. You know, I give so much credit to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife folks on the ground here and in the Southeast region that really just were really strong advocates for this area. And it's gone through a, a process now and a public commenting process and planning process for the last few years. Now, you know, our hope is it's been through all these steps that it becomes established. It's going to take years for that to happen, though, in what properties get protected and what gets approved. There, there's a lot of work to be done. It's really just kind of put the foundation down, from my understanding, right? Yeah, the foundations have been laid. And when that gets, it will, it will be established. You know, I don't want to say hopefully soon, but I think hopefully soon. Um, like, like existing conserv- conserved land will be under that new title? No, it would be new conserved land. So, okay, but it, yes, and again, land. that process always takes a bit of time. But, you know, we know we have willing landowners. And again, that's going to be another... Um, you know, another funding source that we're all going to have to band together to, you know, advocate Congress for and advocate Department of Interior and say, hey, pay attention to us, you know, because mm-hmm. that money gets parceled out all over the country. So it's our job to say, you know what, this is the most important place in the country, you know, put your money in Florida. Our land prices are the highest. Our development pressure is the highest. So, you know, I know there's important places all over this country, but from where I'm sitting, this is the most important and we're going to fight for this area. <laughs> I, I think I have to agree with you. I, yeah. think I have to agree with you. you know, we're, maybe no. we're biased. I don't know. Maybe yeah. just a little bit. But <laughs> no, it's also, I also <laughs> argue to people, I said, if, you know, it's also important from a perception and from a morale point of view with conservation that if Florida can do this, anywhere has hope. Anywhere can do this because Florida is this tiny little strip of land that has a ton, I literally a thousand people moving. I mean, it's the perfect scenario to say if they can make it happen, well, surely we can make it happen over here. And so I, I think from that point of view, it, it is, is another reason that 
we got to make it happen because I think a lot of people's hope is riding on. Can Florida do this? I agree with that sentiment. And I like that. I just want to say, you know, Florida is a leader in in science based land conservation. Mm -hmm. We're a leader in collaborative conservation because we've had to be biologically. We are so unique. And then we are under so much pressure from development. So we are a leader. And, you know, I hope people can learn from us and take this to other places for sure. I've got two last questions because I know you got to go and I appreciate the time. I know. No, this is great. What or who gives you the most hope for achieving this goal of protecting our biodiversity, protecting our landscape, protecting what we have here in Florida? What, what gives you the most hope? Oh, gosh, I'm not really good at answering these kinds of questions, but because nothing gives you hope or there's just so much. <laughs> you know what? I am so cynical after working my entire life has been spent in Florida and I've been working in the conservation world in Florida and kind of makes one cynical. But I am hopeful because to work in conservation in Florida is right. That means that we're the eternal optimists, you know, because we're still trying no matter what is thrown at us. Development, hurricanes, you know, we're still trying. But what gives me hope is. I see all these people working so hard and we're never going to know their name. They're never going to be in the paper. You know, they're never going to receive recognition, but there are people all over the state and there is a movement of folks that work so hard behind the scenes every single day to further conservation in this state. And whether it's, you know, staff at agencies that never receive any credit, you know, work so hard and volunteers, whether, you know, it's for Audubon or the Sierra Club or, you know, landowners that I work with that give their time that are advocating for funding and taking trips to Tallahassee or Washington, D.C. to talk to their, you know, legislature. You know, there's people that give money to these efforts. So, you know, across the state, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. This is a bipartisan issue and it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you're far left, far right, rancher or in the Sierra Club. We have this common goal to conserve the most important areas in our state. And, and that, I think, is something special that there's this single issue that we can all agree on that is a priority for all of us. That gives me a lot of hope. You are right about that. There are a lot of different kinds of people with the yeah. same goal of protecting this place. And that's, Absolutely. that's very cool to see. And then my last question, which I always want to make an important part of, of these conversations, is what can people do? Because not everybody is a Julie Morris, an, an all-star, one of those unsung heroes that doesn't get enough attention for the work you do. But what are some of those things that you see just average people being able to contribute, you know, nine to five, family, full-time, everything, busy. H how do they chip away at this in a way that's actually helpful? And that's important because it's, it's, it's everybody that's going to make a difference, right? It's not just, you know, the few folks that work directly in the conservation world, but, you know, what people can do, they can vote. Um, they can vote for candidates on a local and state and federal level that support land conservation, that support our conservation programs, that support agriculture. They can call their legislatures in Florida and say, please fund our land conservation programs. And that moves the needle. Calling your legislator moves the needle. 
You know what? It does. Getting involved, people are busy, right? And people have time to send an email or um, pick up the phone and and let your elected officials know this is something that matters. They need to hear from you. You know, county commissioners need to hear from you. You know, state lawmakers need to hear from you. Our congressmen need to hear from you that this is something that you value and your voice matters. People's voice matters. This is a democracy. And so we, we all have a voice and we all can make a difference. And I would just encourage people to let their voices be heard. You heard her. Get busy. Do something. The worst thing you can do is nothing. Get involved. Send some emails. Make some calls. Get out there and enjoy it. Do something. And if the first step is learning more about Julie, go to floridaconserve.org. Learn more about what they do, how they do it, and go out and visit a ranch between now and the next episode. 